Good morning. Are we on? Are we on? Good. Um, as James has directed then, before we start um, unpacking God's word in James chapter 5, let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we unpack your word that it would not merely be an information transfer to us, but that it would be through your Holy Spirit, your word that's received by us, which would be for us life transformation. Amen. So, I get the great privilege of um, finishing this sermon series on James and unpacking the whole of chapter 5. I'd have rather had a nice passage that was straight the way through. This is more of a roller coaster. But follow me through it because there is a thread. We've looked already in our sermon series on James. Um, Chapter 1 will unpack with us about when we are in trials, seeking the wisdom of God. Chapter 2, Nigel unpacked with us and Alan about what it is to have a living faith. Chapter 3, Alex unpacked with us about what it is to tame the tongue. And in chapter 4, Jonathan unpacked with us about pride and humility. And... As you go through, James, the whole letter has got the theme running through it of, if you're a Christian, act like it. Or, to put that as it is in many commentaries, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And as I've been unpacking chapter 5, there's an extra element that's come out of that that I want to share and unpack as the thread through this chapter today. And that's not just, if you're a Christian, act like it. But when you act, have an eternal perspective to what you're doing. So, to give us a vehicle to move through this, um, have you ever thought about what Judgment Day is going to look like? I have. I'll tell you what I thought. So, it arrives, the big day, a big white courtroom, no doubt, and a nice white stand, which is ready for me, and got at at the head, and he's ready. Um, What he's going to do is unpack my sins and who I am. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, the Bible says that um, God will expose the motives of my heart on that day. Um, It unpacks further in Matthew that where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. So, on that day, God's going to unpack my heart and he's going to see what treasure surrounds it. And my treasure will show where my heart is. So let's get into chapter 5, because I think James has got something to say on that, which is good for us to hear today. He starts off, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Now, James, as he opens this, isn't professing the worthlessness of the rich. Anybody who is earning above and beyond the minimum wage need not worry and think you're immediately going to come under judgment. James is professing the worthlessness of of riches. And you could even add to that the question of the wealth that I have and the riches I have, is that a gift from God? Or is that a gift that's become my God? James goes on to say, your wealth is rotted, moths of it in your clothes, and your gold and silver will be corroded. We've got, who's a scientist? We've got some somewhere. You, you, you can put your hand up. There's one at the top. Gold and silver corroding? No. Okay. What James is doing is he's picking out the three G's that represent the wealth of the time. So, he's speaking to the church in Jerusalem, and he's picking out 
grain, gold and garments, signs of wealth at the time. Now James is addressing in this passage the the Christian church in Jerusalem. And there has been members of that church, obviously, where riches have become an issue and people are not using their wealth as per what God has given it to them for. Um, James goes on to say, the corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. What he's saying is, there is an eternal perspective that you need to have when you are looking at what you do with the wealth that God has given you. Indeed, that, that runs through whatever that might become an idol in our lives. The entire Bible looks at the rise and fall of kings and idolatry and that message of judgment and hope. He says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen, they're crying out against you. Now that's straight out of Deuteronomy 24 and the law as given to Moses. And what we're saying is, and the context for the people that James is speaking to here, is that people were paid day by day, and they needed that. They relied on that. They relied on the good faithfulness of that. Otherwise, they'd suffer real hardship. And at the end of the chapter, it says, you've condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Well, at this point in the sermon, you might be well tempted to step out and say, oh, that's good. That's the point at which this doesn't relate to me anymore. I've not murdered anybody, and that's fine, maybe not. Um, But, James 2, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it. Sin is sin, and we're all in the queue. You know, the analogy of judgment day, that's coming for us all. There's something on that day that I'll be holding in my heart, and we'll get to that in a minute. Saving thing on that day for me. So James is addressing these people for which wealth has become a God. Wealth has become a thing which has taken over their love of God, what they've become dependent on. He then moves on to say in verse 7, be patient then, brothers. He says then, so we can read into that, that the suffering and that the oppression that's going on might be hitting parts of the Christian church as well as other people. He says, be patient until the Lord's coming. He continually points towards having an eternal perspective. And he's now moved on to speak to the Christians in the church for which patience has become an issue. He uses an agricultural reference at the time. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. Um, The agricultural reference is referring to having patience. What he's saying to people at the time, and indeed what we can take from that, because this has something to say to us, is if you can wait for a crop, you can wait for a crown. He says, you too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, Wikipedia helps. It describes patience as the limit of one's endurance before negativity kicks in. Excellent. So, what does that mean for us as a church? Whinging. We don't do that, that's fine. He says, and James knows it all too well, he goes on in verse 9 to unpack that, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Again, that eternal perspective of not just, if you're a Christian, act like it, be patient, but that eternal perspective of act now, 
and act with an eternal perspective. I like this bit. James really gets this next point home. If, if you want an example of patience, there's probably many that you could have picked from. I'll give you a modern-day example of patience. I had the pleasure last week of taking Will out onto a golf course, and he landed himself in a bunker halfway round. And if you want an example of patience, watch Will getting out of a bunker on a golf course. <laughs> did well (laughs) but James is um, let's bring it back to what what I should be doing James has pulled out the big guns for this what does he say consider Job as an example he pulls out the example of Job about what patience is and what it is to have true patience now this is great it's always worth clarifying the message of Job that is trust God For who he is, not what he gives you. Um, It's This might not come out right. It's almost a shame at the end of Job that he gets everything back. Because sometimes there's a tendency to read that and think, great, if I give God a tenner, he owes me 20 quid back. Because whatever you give, you get double times. That's not quite what he's getting at. Saying, trust God for who he is, not what he gives you. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Um, And this is the bit that I'll be holding in my heart. I'm going to bring it back to the example of Judgment Day. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. On that day, regardless of how many sins we have to go through to get to the bottom of Andy Bunter, there'll be God's mercy for me at the end of it. And that'll see me walk into eternal life and spend eternity with Jesus. James moves on to look at quite a difficult part of this passage, and this is where it might be difficult to lose a thread. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, by anything else, that your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, we probably all know that. You've probably all heard that somewhere. Somebody's pulled that out on you before, haven't they? When you've said something that's not quite been truthful or you've not followed through, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. What James is saying is, every act that you do don't set aside a specific occasion where you're going to trust God and where you're, you're going to give that Christian example on that particular occasion. Let everything you do be a God-given yes or no. It's, I hope I'm not judging if I say sometimes I've been guilty. If you come to church on a Sunday, you put your church face on because church is for church people and they need to see a certain side of you that they might not see at home perhaps. Um, well, that's all right, but what James is saying is, no, let your yes be yes and let your no be no, and let everything that you do, with that eternal perspective in mind, be an example of you being a Christian and that Christian life that you live and that you believe in. James goes on next to say, is any of you in trouble? So what he's initiating is a little bit of a self-assessment here. Well, that's how I've took it. Is any of you in trouble? You should pray, speak to God. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs, speak to God. Is any of you sick? Call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with all in the name of the Lord. Well, if we're continuing with looking at James chapter 5 with an eternal perspective and trying to understand that in the light of patience that he's given before, um, there's a whole sermon that could be done on the anointing of the sick 
and there's a whole host of questions that could spark debate around it. But I'm just going to give you one example. Because the questions that come up are, why, why is everybody not healed? Why does God answer the prayers of some? Is that a reflection on my righteousness? Well, I have a dad who has a degenerative condition. And he's had it for a while. We're talking over 25 years. So every time I get to pray in church as a young man, I'm praying, Lord, make him better. Make him better. Heal the sick. He's not better. And it's going to continue to get worse. But the Lord has been faithful. And this word in James chapter 5 regarding this holds true with an eternal perspective, which is this. In the last five years, I've seen him come to faith. I've seen him grow a Christian compassion and act towards people in a way that I've never seen him done before. And the real test is, I went to see him last week and I said, how are you doing? And he said, yeah, I'm all right. But the sermon at St Andrew's on Sunday was rubbish, he said. (laughs) He's got the whinging part sorted out. Maybe you should listen to this when it's online in a few days. Um, There's an eternal perspective. James says in the middle of that third part of chapter 5, if he's sinned, he'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray so that you may be healed, and the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If there is a stumbling block, an idol which has put itself where God should be, in this case James is unpacking money, and he's unpacking a lack of patience in the church, pray. Speak to God. Back to chapter 1. When you're in those trials, pray and seek the wisdom of God. Again, James pulls out one of the prophets, Elijah, He says he was a man just like us, and he goes on to explain about how he prayed earnestly, and it rained, or withheld rain, then he prayed earnestly, and it rained again. Um, You know, James is is pulling out examples of the prophets. He'll be well-versed with it. He's Jesus' brother. He'll be brought up in the same teachings. And what he's saying is that message of the prophets is the same for them now and for us here, and that's a message of judgment and of hope. Have that eternal perspective. And I'm going to close um, by unpacking 19 and 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. The whole of James is looking at, with an eternal perspective, if you're a Christian, act like it. But also, act for others. Where you see others walking away, go and get them back. We've got the opportunity in our church to unpack who we are as a church in the Grow Love Serve course. We've got an opportunity in the church with a catalyst program at the moment to have and pick up that eternal perspective and do what James is saying in these last two verses, which is basically, let's go get our people back. I'm going to close that out with a prayer and I'm going to hand back over. Father, thank you for the message that has run continually through the epistle of James that is, if we are a Christian act like it, don't just be a hearer of the word but be a doer of it. I pray that you would 
<coughs> renewing us and remind us to have that eternal perspective. And then we would act according to your will and in your name. Amen.